Segon, welcome to Resistance Radio. I am John Kane, one of your hosts. Regan DeLoggins will be joining uh, joining us in about a half hour. Uh, got a couple of things we are going to talk about. I'm going to talk about the new governor. Um, Hochul's a bit of a local out here, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna fill you in at least from a native perspective how uh, how we feel about the new governor. Um, and then Regan's going to join us to talk about the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report for 2021, which ain't good, folks. Um, so let me uh, well, let me first start, as I usually do, <laughs> uh, by reminding people we are listener-supported radio. And it is so important that... Um, uh, that that you, the listener, continue to support if you've been supporting or perhaps for the first time, make a contribution to WPFW or WBAI, whichever uh, whatever station you happen to be catching the show on. Um, I would greatly appreciate it as as one of the hosts of of these two stations, and your contributions to the station sends a signal. It says uh, how you feel about listening to this program, and of course, it also sends a, a clear message about how you feel about the radio stations in general. If you are listening in New York City, I I I plead with you to go to the uh, the pledge line, which is. Um, uh, 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. Or you can go online to give to wba.org um, and make a contribution of, of any size. Look, um, we just got a, a list out of the, the buddies that each one of the the uh, stations or each one of the programs has for WBI. And I used to you know, be right on the top of that list, and uh, not so much anymore. So if you're listening to this show in New York, and if you if you maintained your status as a WBA buddy, but perhaps yeah, changed a little bit of your affiliation to a different show, that's fine. But if you have let your uh, your buddy subscription, I guess, <laughs> elapse, then uh, please consider giving a call again, two one two two zero nine two nine five zero, and renew that buddy subscription and do it in the name of the show and uh, see, let's see if we can get my numbers back up. Uh, you know, I, I I have to say that the contributions that I'm trying to solicit from you right now do not come to me. They, they go entirely to the radio stations. Um, that's, you know, I'm not supported by the radio stations other than supported by given airtime. And so we're, we're asking you to, to make a donation so these stations can continue to exist. If you're listening in, uh, in Washington, D.C., then I ask you to go to that pledge line for WPFW, which is 202 Five eight eight nine seven three nine, or go online to wpfwfm.org. Let me give that number again since I kind of choked up. Two zero two five eight eight nine seven three nine. That's the number to call for making a contribution uh, to WPFW. Um, Look, these stations have, again, continued to accommodate uh, a native voice, a native perspective on issues that affect us all. And m more often than not, give uh, Regan and I an opportunity to, to talk to you about issues that impact us directly and perhaps impact you a little less directly. And that's what we do. And we hope that those of you who listen to this program uh, get enough out of this program that it might it might spur you to go ahead and uh, make a donation to the stations that carry the program so uh, anyway 
That's that's my pitch. <laughs> All right, Kathy Hochul. All right, so I don't need to get into um, I, the the news has been covering you know the re- resignation of Andrew Cuomo you know 24/7. There's talking heads all over the place on it, and um, I think I've over the years have expressed pretty clearly how I feel about the the the, the long-standing governor of the state of New York. Uh, frankly, I wasn't crazy about his dad, but his dad at, le- at least was somebody that we could talk to. This guy has been. 100% pure belligerence from a, from a native standpoint. He has offered nothing but racist comments, um, has been deriding the Senecas in particular over gaming revenue. Um, but our relationship with New York State isn't good. And frankly, it ain't good with Letitia James either, just so you know. But uh, we'll, we'll, I'll leave that alone for now. But her, Cuomo's um, lieutenant governor, Kathy Hochul, is a is a Again, a relative local to to where I live. I live on the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. It's where I'm broadcasting from now. Um, it is, you know, Hamburg, which is the little suburb of Buffalo that she comes from. She you know, she served in uh, the the township governance. Uh, um, it Hamburg is in Erie County, which is the the county that is uh, you know basically where Buffalo is. She served as the county clerk, so she's you know she's very local to uh, to where I live right now and uh, and certainly has her roots here in uh, in what is considered Western New York. Uh, she served as a congressman for a or congressperson I'm sorry for a very short period of time um, after a, a a congressman had re- resigned uh, uh, she ran in some sort of um, midterm or you know some sort of election to, to fill that seat uh, but then was uh, then was you know, then was beat I mean it was a Republican who resigned um, I think the 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 mood or the temperament at the time was not uh, predisposed to immediately replace the outgoing congressman with another Republican so uh, as a Democrat she she filled that seat for a little while until another corrupt Republican came in today <laughs> Chris Collins came in to uh, to boost uh, boot her out of that spot uh, but she you know she's political elite you know she has you know been you know meandering and wandering and and earning her stripes in the Democratic Party at least in Western New York for a good long time and and it's pretty clear that that Cuomo selected her as his quote-unquote running mate uh, for lieutenant governor um, because he was trying to win some some, some a little bit more support in Western New York um, but to be clear she has been an absolute Cuomo loyalist, and there's no no way to to parse that any other way. She has, you know, she has parroted everything that Cuomo said, even in uh, as far as the battles that we've had with uh, with the state of New York and Cuomo over things like gaming and um, our commerce, which which again does not subject ourselves to New York State taxation or regulations. She has parroted everything that Cuomo has said. So when I hear Kathy Hochul talk about her administration, she ain't got an administration. It's the Cuomo administration minus Cuomo. That's it. It's the, it's the same animal. And and I and I I look, I know there's probably a lot of people both Democrats and 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 then women also who are are probably kind of excited about 
for all intents and purposes, a glass ceiling being broken. Kathy Hochul will be the first woman to, to serve as the governor of the state of New York. Unfortunately, she, you know, she's not being elected in that position. Uh, she is getting it by default. But you know what? You know, and I said the same thing about Cuomo or about Obama being elected. Look, it's it's great to see diversity. It's great to see you know a woman uh, achieve you know, um, something that women hadn't been able to achieve. It's great to see a, a black person get uh, you know uh, you know earn earn his or her way into positions you know, like the presidency of the United States or you know mayors of towns that they've never been mayors of before and that kind of thing. But at the end of the day, you're not voting for skin color, and you're not voting for gender. You're, you should be voting for people, and, and again, I'm telling people how they should vote when I don't vote, right? But, but you would think that a person would earn their, their, their merit, I guess, by, by the merit of their, uh, of their policies. Well, Kathy Hochul is, is basically a Cuomo parrot. Uh, she only, at the very, very end, you know, stated publicly that she thought Cuomo should resign. Of course, uh, of course, he, she thought he should resign. It, it would place her as the governor of the state of New York, and uh, and of course, why wouldn't she want that, right? Um, I think she's given some indication that she will run for governor in the next cycle as well, uh, which in all likelihood will will pit her against Letitia James. Uh, for some reason, there is uh, I, uh, apparently the the, the path. Um, uh, the most direct path to the governorship happens to be through the state attorney general. I don't know why that is. I don't know why anybody thinks that the top cop has to be the, the, the governor of, of a state, but that's the way it's worked in New York for, you know, for a while here. And, and we can go back, you know, Spitzer and Cuomo and, and, and perhaps Letitia James has that same, um, and it appears she has that same uh, ambition. Let me get back to Kathy Hochul. Now, Kathy Hochul is not alone with that name. Her husband, William Hochul, um, has has been and was a longtime serving U.S. attorney in the Western District of New York. We also, as Native people, had our conflicts with, with William Hochul. And, uh, and, and again, you have in the Hochul family, another top cop you you have a u.s attorney essentially who who is going to dictate you know what is going to you know what is going to be pursued in terms of violations of federal law and it is there where some of the discretion lies on and and this is really important when it comes to native issues because look we do a whole lot that the state doesn't believe is legal and that the federal government doesn't believe is legal are we breaking laws well, no, we're doing what we have the right to do. The laws just have been interpreted oftentimes in such a way that you got guys like the U.S. attorney or, or folks like the, the, the state attorney general who w are real quick to deem our commerce as somehow illegitimate. And what are we doing that's so illegitimate? I'll tell you what we're doing. We're marketing our regulatory advantages. So whether it's gaming, whether it's sale of cigarettes or, or motor fuel or whatever it is, we won't pay New York State tax. And we, when it comes to gaming, we were able to do gaming when New York State couldn't do gaming. Why? Because it was, opposed, it was, uh, it was illegal according to their, their state constitution. So there are things that we could do 
that kind of left the New York State outside. And, and frankly, that's our view of our lands. The view of our lands is that we are not part of New York State. Now, where do we get that from? Well, we get that from the fact that we, pre, we predate New York State, the United States, uh, you know, white men washing up on the shores of, uh, of the East Coast, making their way to our territories. But you know what? It was actually that notion that our land is ours and not New York State's or the United States. It was also parroted by a few notables in U.S. history, like George Washington. In the Canandaigua Treaty, it says that the United States acknowledges that our land is ours, and they will, um, uh, we will not be disturbed in the free use and enjoyment of our lands, or will, will our allies uh, be disturbed in the, in the free use and enjoyment of our lands. So this is clear from language, in spite of the doctrine of Christian discovery, which suggests that when, when Christian nations of Europe uh, came al along, uh, upon lands that were occupied and lived upon by pagans, they could just claim the title. Well, that may be codified in law, but in 1794, the President of the United States was negotiating treaties where, where he spe specified, and it's not the only time, by the way, where they specified that the land is, uh, the United States is acknowledging that our land is ours, it's not theirs. And they claim to, uh, and they promised to never claim our lands. So when we get into these debates with state attorney generals and with U.S. attorneys, it's oftentimes us just really throwing their words back at them. And like I said, it's not just 1794. During the removal period, when, uh, when there was an effort to move Native people across the other side of the Mississippi into Louisiana Purchase uh, territory, other native lands. <laughs> a, a simple question was asked by the Senecas when the original proposal was made for them to move to Kansas, I believe it was. They said, well, what would be the status of that land? And the United States made their overtures to the Senecas and they said, the land status would be the same as the status that you, you now uh, hold your land. It's yours and the United States will never claim it. So this is already into the 1800s, this is in you know, 1830s, that the United States is saying, if you leave the land that is now yours, we will assure you that the land you move to will be yours, and it will never be part of a state. It will never be claimed by the United States. It will be yours. So this isn't just 1794. Now we're in, into the 1830s. As we go in, farther into, you know, into the, the later part of the 19th century, it was repeated over and over again at both at the state level and at the federal level that Seneca land and, and other Haudenosaunee lands were not a part of the United States or, uh, or New York State. So that's what, what they were saying. Of course, we were always saying that you know, anyway, but, but it was acknowledged by both the states uh, the state and the federal government that our land was ours. But that's not where we are today. In, in 1924, once the United States declared that we were citizens, then they started making all these assumptions about what our land was. I mean, there's no transfer of title. <clears throat> there's no transfer of sovereignty. There was no um, consent by our people to consent to U.S. citizenship. But here we have it. So. I bring this back to Kathy Hochul because Kathy Hochul is is not only somebody who has served in local government, but again for a brief stint as a as a U.S. Congressperson from New York, but her husband is a U.S. Attorney, and the state's position has been very very anti-native, 
And it doesn't matter if it's a Republican or a Democrat sitting in the governor's mansion. It's always been very, very anti-native. That's that is what it has always been. And there is no reason for us to believe that that things are going to improve just because she's not a far off neighbor of ours living, you know, originally from from the town of Hamburg. I mean, which is literally only, you know, a, a town or so away from uh, from the Cattaraugus Territory of Seneca Nation. I and mean, it's very close. Um, the only thing that that I will say is if she maintains a commitment to Western New York, there may be some aversion to a, the expansion of gaming downstate that would hurt. <laughs> I guess I should have gone uh, cover this first, but it might hurt Western New York gaming, not just Seneca gaming, but some of the the Racinos that exist in Western New York, Finger Lakes, Hamburg uh, uh, Fairgrounds or uh, racetrack gaming, um, and then Batavia Downs, which is <clears throat> another racetrack that uh, that has slots in them, and a, a a rather large casino right near Rochester. Now I. I the significance of the gaming part of this thing is that when William Hochul became or retired from being the uh, U.S. attorney in the area, he took on a, a senior position, I think CEO or, or one of the, the, the main principals of Delaware North. Delaware North is a hospitality company. They have they they've managed uh, throughway rest stops. They uh, they they have uh, stepped up as a major player in the gaming industry um, in various parts of the state, but certainly in Western New York, they operate two of the gaming facilities that essentially compete directly against the Seneca Nation within the area that they were supposed to have exclusivity uh, for for gaming. So, Bill Holkel is is essentially running two gaming operations that compete directly against the Seneca Nation. And that's going to present, it, it already should have presented a conflict of interest with uh, with Catherine Hochul being the lieutenant governor. But as she moves into the governor's position, clearly there's going to be a conflict of interest. You know, Bill Hochul and Delaware North have had very, very fine treatment from the from the outgoing governor Andrew Cuomo, he has you know he was he has lavished them with all kinds of uh, you know special contracts uh, to to manage um, uh, state lands, state parks, state licensed gaming facilities, and the and the like. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens uh, it, throughout the remainder of this uh, of her term um, serving as governor. Especially since there there is a built-in conflict of interest with with the company that that her husband works for, and how accommodating the state of New York and Cuomo in particular has been towards Delaware Delaware North, <clears throat> that's going to that is going to be real interesting. Now here's the other thing that I think has to be ha, has to be said. It it, it is rare that a uh, anybody from Western New York serves as the um, uh, you know, as the governor of the of the state of New York, uh, you, you got to go back to like Grover Cleveland, who was like a mayor of, uh, I think he was the mayor of Buffalo or something like that, and who went on to be the um, uh, the the governor for a period of time, but it just doesn't happen. And and the likelihood of the the Democratic institution, the Demo the Democratic Party institution of New York, embracing. Um, 
somebody who who doesn't have the the charisma that that Cuomo uh, you know allegedly had, or or the you know or the forcefulness, you know I I think there is this desire even within the the Democrats uh, to to push for this this strongman position in in these uh, in these big big roles like governorship, and. When you when you look back at the battle between Cuomo and, and Trump, you know it, it it forces people to kind of pick a side. And of course, Cuomo's numbers were really kind of terrible uh, until the COVID thing. And then, like many um, governors who seemed to manage the the problem reasonably well, he he finally you know dipped into some positive numbers. But uh, but his the legacy of Cuomo will remain when he leaves office because there isn't going to be a whole new administration put in place. It is going to be the same administration, just minus Cuomo. So I guess what I wanted to say about Kathy Hochul is the likelihood that she is going to be well embraced throughout the state as the preeminent candidate for the, uh, in, in the next election cycle for governor is probably, probably not going to happen. And, and it'll be it'll be a hard battle in spite of essentially being an incumbent running for uh, for re-election. Um, I think I think it's going to be a very tough, uh, tough hill to climb for for somebody like Kathy Hochul being from Western New York and, and Western New York isn't as uh, isn't a strong democratic area i mean look there are more trump flags still flying around here in western new york than than i care to think about um there you know the, the urban areas like buffalo do traditionally vote democratic but the outlying areas of uh, of western new york looked at they went pretty they went pretty solidly for uh for, for trump and if it weren't for for the city of buffalo carrying um the uh, these districts out here, um, the likelihood is that they you know, the entire region would have gone gone for Trump. Uh, so, you know, Hochul doesn't come from a place that has a strong, real, real strong Democratic base. Yes, she did get elected in a uh, in, in like a runoff kind of a of election um, to fill a, a vacant seat in uh, in the House of Representatives. But she was immediately, uh, you know, beat by by Chris Collins, <clears throat> who is, I think, is desperately trying to avoid jail time right now. Um, which, you know, who knows? That might be what uh, what Cuomo's uh, future may look like as well. But, you know, I just think it's important as the rest of the state and right, really the rest of the country is reeling from this fall from grace of of Andrew Cuomo, you know, a, a person that many people looked at several times as a potential candidate for the presidency. Um, you know, this is another another Cuomo crashing and burning, uh, this one with much more disgrace um, than his father ever did. His father just kind of lost his shine, so to speak, I guess. He was admired in this kind of controversy that uh, that, you know, that his son is. And, and it's not just the the sexual assault and the, and the sexual 
uh, harassment and workplace environment problems. There are other issues that that, that are very complicated with uh, with Cuomo, his book deal and who worked on it and who you know who was paid to work on it. Um, you know, th- some of the truth coming out about how he really handled numbers associated with with COVID-19, especially the deaths associated with nursing homes. Um, he, he, you know, he gained a lot of um, uh, attention and a, a lot of favor with his handling of, of COVID, uh, COVID-19. But, you know, I think when the, when the truth is told, you, you find out th- there was incompetence at, you know, almost at every level. I mean, only one state has had more deaths in it than New York State, although Texas is making a pretty solid run for being the second state to um, to displace uh, New York for second, I guess. But this is, I mean, this is the Cuomo legacy, which doesn't end um, entirely when he leaves office. Again, the administration uh, that has also had their their troubles. I mean, there's been uh, he, he's had turnover over the time. Of course, he's been a governor for a long time, so he's bound to have some. But uh, Kathy Hochul has been a very, very loyal uh, lieutenant governor. As I said, she is not just parroted, but she's promoted much of what the governor has, uh, you know, has has advanced. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of there's still a lot of confusion about what what Cuomo and, and Hochul called the Buffalo Billion, which was this commitment for a billion dollars to come to Western New York to revitalize Buffalo, which you look. They, they have a great marketing campa- campaign to talk about the renewal of Buffalo, but if you live in western New York, in, in the Buffalo region, you haven't seen the level of success that, that some of the rich folks have. And, and some of that's been mired in controversy, where some of that Buffalo billion has gone to. And by the way, it hasn't really been a billion dollars. The only billion dollars that has transferred between western New York and, uh, and, uh, and the state of New York is, has been the money that, that uh, Cuomo has uh, siphoned out of the area through Seneca Gaming. And in that situation, when a billion and a half dollars went to, uh, to, to Albany uh, in, in the form of revenue sharing for an exclusivity that doesn't really exist, only you know about half a you know a half a billion came back. So a billion dollars left Western New York. <clears throat> so for all the talk of of a billion dollars coming into Western New York, it's been just the opposite. And you know, and the difference with a billion dollars of Seneca money staying in Western New York versus leaving it is that all that money gets spent in Western New York. So. Even with the, you know, with Cuomo and Hochul's so-called Buffalo Billion, that money that came to Western New York lined the pockets uh, of people who who earned political favor from from the likes of Hochul and 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 Cuomo. So, it's it's not a clean deal. I mean, it, the fact of the matter is that New York remains one of the more corrupt states if not the most corrupt state in um, in the United States. Now, I'm not saying its politics is worse than some other states. And certainly when I look at some of what's happening in Texas and Florida, um, it's it's mind boggling. But in terms of payola and corruption and graft and all that stuff, um, New York still has 
you know, one of the things that Cuomo allegedly tried to do was um, was to clean up the politics. And then once that cleanup uh, started shining a light on, on some of his administration, he put the brakes on it. So it gives you an idea that even when a guy claims he wants to clean up corruption, he only wants to clean it up if it's about everybody else but him. So, um, you know, and so I wanted to, I wanted to spend this time <clears throat> to talk enough about Kathy Hochul so people don't assume that with Cuomo gone, everything gets clean again. It's, it's not that way. It's simply not that way. And I think it's really important that, that, that there's a, a closer look at the things that she has said. I mean, I don't know what the hell a, go- a lieutenant governor even does other than you know, plays backup for, you know, for the governor. Uh, I mean, in the rare instances where a governor has to resign in shame, like Elliot Spitzer or now Andrew Cuomo, the lieutenant governor you know, has to step up to fill the shoes. But just like the previous lieutenant governor who stepped up to, you know, to become the governor, uh, it, I think it's really doubtful that uh, that this one will be able to claim, make any claim about being elected governor. Yes, she will become the governor of the state of New York. And like I said, when you when you look at somebody and their family, uh, you know, so the husband and wife team between Bill Hochul and Kathy Hochul. There's a there's a certain level of elitism that is that is clearly, uh, you know, been established by the roles that they played in uh, in governance, uh, in the Justice Department, and you know, and I don't know. There's something about that that transition from being the 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 U.S. attorney to um, to to heading up you know a hospitality organization you, you can bet there was um uh that that transition was paved it was paved pretty clearly so you know i i think that look i think any every any and every population needs to be scrutinized you, you know, because the the problem is there's an immediate amnesia that comes over these guys when they uh, when they seem to forget that what they are doing is supposed to be serving the public. They are they are supposed to be public servants, but you know we prop these people up, and they in in keeping with being propped up, start grabbing more and more authority. And we've seen that with we certainly have seen that with with the likes of uh, Andrew Cuomo, and and frankly we we've seen it with with others. And yeah and and again a lot of times these these um, these folks who come from being uh, you know, like Spitzer and, and Cuomo, who were former attorney generals, state attorney generals, they have this, um, you know, good cop, um, tough cop attitude when they come into the the ultimate, the highest position within the state. And they carry that with them almost as a, you know, in, in the form of white supremacy. And because, look, they're white. I mean, uh, the only black person who has served as the uh, governor of the state of New York was, was David Patterson, and that's because the governor before him had to resign in shame. Now the only woman who will be able to claim to have served as the, as the governor of the state of New York will do so because the governor has to resign in shame. That's, um, I mean, it's sad that there that it's been this difficult for really qualified, honorable women 
or honorable, you know, uh, people of color, wh wherever they come from, uh, to to reach these the, the pinnacles of uh, of some of these elected offices. But you know, look, you know, I, I always say this that r racism isn't just a right thing; it's a white thing. And the the, the power brokers of, uh, in the state of New York are by and large white men and for the most part live in that Albany the New York City corridor and anybody outside of that is going to have a difficult time uh, running for the top spot in the, in the state of New York and I think that's something that that we all have to acknowledge and you know of course this this has a lot of implications New York is a really really significant state in uh, the United States, it uh, what it represents in terms of you know obviously um, uh, global finance, um, but but frankly you know what it what it represents in terms of the the democratic control um, and and so much of the the, the national and, and obviously regional politics is, is pretty significant and you know so this isn't just a a state issue. It's certainly not just a local issue, even though, you know, for me, as I speak to you, uh, I'm speaking about Kathy Hochul, who is, who is, you know, um, relatively local to the, uh, to where the Seneca Nation is. And, but I got to tell you, you know, I, I, I got a call from, from a news outlet just this week. <clears throat> they were, they were curious about the tensions that exist between, uh, between the, the, um, the Seneca Nation and Delaware North, and and essentially, when asking about Delaware North, they're asking about the Hochels. They're asking about Bill Hochul, and ultimately, you know, what conflict of interest exists, not only as the lieutenant governor of the state of New York, with all of the, um, you know, the benefits that Delaware North has received from from state contracts, but what it's going to mean going forward as uh, as Kathy Hochul has to. Um, somehow manage this this conflict of interest that's going to exist between her uh, role and the role her husband plays. So these are the challenges. These are the challenges that, um, you know, when, when I was asked, they said, do you see, do I see or, or do the Senecas view um, Kathy Hochul and her relationship with her, with her husband and, and his company um, as a conflict of interest? I said, well, it's not, it's not a conflict for us. It's a conflict for her. Now, I will say that I don't anticipate Kathy Hochul being a big problem for native issues because I don't think she's going to address them. I, I think that she's going to be overwhelmed with the position. And, and this has nothing to do with being a woman, so I don't want anybody to, to take it that way. But look, she's, she's a Western New Yorker. I mean, I don't know what familiarity she's going to have with, uh, with native people on, in Long Island and some of the conflicts. I mean, look, we already know kind of the position that Letitia James took with the, the Shinnecocks over, over putting up a sign, for crying out loud, over a, putting up a monument on their territory. <clears throat> she has assumed authority that she didn't have as the, as a, the state attorney general. And, and I got to think that, that somebody like Kathy Hochul is going to be equally, um, if not more so, ignorant to to the plight of uh, of the Shinnecock and the and the Puspetucks and uh, you know and you know and 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 I say that not uh, to be insulting. It's just look, we are not prominent issues, and we only become a prominent issue when somebody 
you know, tries to shine a light on us, whether it's putting putting something up on the Sunrise Highway or or whether it's some of these gaming issues. You know, or because we end up having you know a, a battle with the uh, with the, the tax commissioner or something. I mean, these are when we get in the news. There's not a whole lot of attention that is paid to um, to native people um, at the, at the state level. You know, we'll we'll get an offhand comment from somebody like Cuomo over Columbus statues, um, <laughs> you know, which is is his position on the Columbus statues was pretty moronic, I must say. Um, out in Western New York, they removed the Columbus statue in Buffalo. I don't know what Kathy Hochul's position was on that, but I suspect that she was not going to cross uh, cross the line in the sand that uh, Andrew Cuomo had drawn on certainly on Columbus statues in Albany or in uh, in New York City. But we're seeing other places like Syracuse and in Buffalo where where that issue has has been properly addressed, if not completely properly addressed, at least partially addressed. So this is going to be really interesting to see if she just ignores native issues, which frankly, as far as I'm concerned, would be fine. You know, I would just assume stay off of her radar because I'm, I'm afraid that her lack of understanding about who native people are, what we stand for, and frankly, what our rights are. See, none of these guys will address issues like the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. I mean, this is a an international declaration that the state has completely ignored. But frankly, the United States has too. And, you know, the the current U.S. Attorney uh, James Kennedy, although he's a Republican, but but he followed uh, you know he followed uh, Bill Hochul, who who left. I think I don't know if he left because Trump was elected or whatever. But um, you know, they they basically uh, you know took the same policies as, as each other. They even. They never really attempted to understand what the native position was on any of the stuff, and they certainly couldn't acknowledge it. So we found ourselves with with these these U.S. attorneys and these state attorney generals basically only being looked at as New Yorkers, not being looked at as as sovereign nations. And there's nothing to suggest to me that Kathy Hochul has any different position than, than Andrew Cuomo has on this. And certainly her husband didn't have a different position on it. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, see the, how this plays out. Reggie, have we heard from uh, um, uh, from Regan yet? No uh, hearings from Regan yet. Okay. Uh, I mentioned uh, Regan does plan to join us before the the show is over Regan wanted to specifically talk about this uh, intergovernmental panel on climate change this report that came out on the status of uh, of climate change is is not good i mean it is uh it it, it, sh- it isn't just humbling it it should be terrifying i mean people should be looking at this thing and really it's not like the warnings haven't been there for decades and it's just that everybody blew it off you know, as people are, you know, uh, thinking about everything else to be distracted by, and I'm not even counting, you know, the the whole COVID st- uh, um, pandemic in that mix. But when I think about the things that people have managed to be distracted by, and of course, you know, voting for a moron like Trump uh, to serve as the president for four years certainly didn't help matters at any. But but you know what, Democrats sitting in that same position have expanded fracking they've expanded uh you know, 
fossil fuels extraction. You know, yeah, there's, you know, Obama raised the cafe standards, uh, you know, so that, you know, the auto manufacturers that have to have cleaner burning cars or more fuel efficient cars. <clears throat> and and this administration is talking about, you know, more and more solar uh, or I'm sorry, electric vehicles coming, uh, you know, uh, replacing uh, um, uh, fuel burning, uh, f- fuel burning autos. But th- the real work is uh, is really been pitiful it, it has really been pitiful and shame on uh, for all the, the po- folks in the united states who want to point to china and look china is is a, is a problem when it comes to climate change there's no question about that but if you're going to use another country as an excuse for you not to do something under the guise that well if we uh, if we tighten up on you know clean energy if we you know uh, um, adopt you know more climate change um, you know cautious uh, policies it's going to hurt us economically well then that's just pitiful that's that's just pitiful and and, and we were going to see I mean the, the temperature rises that we've seen already. I mean, we used to talk about, well, we're going to go, you know, we're, we're approaching that tipping point. We passed that tipping point. It's, it's out of sight in our rearview mirror already. Okay, I mean, got a already- report from you, uh, John, and Regan is here. There is Regan. There I am. <laughs> Regan, I introduced the topic already because I was anticipating you joining me any second. So um, um, let, I'm going to really defer to you at this point. I, you know, I basically, uh, my statement was that we passed the tipping point long ago, and it's almost invisible in our rearview mirror at this point. And this IPC, uh, IPCC uh, report is pretty damning. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad to be joining all. It's been a bit of a hectic, uh, a hectic day for me. And so I, I knew I was going to be late to the show. I, I didn't expect to be this late, but um, but, you know, here here we are. I'm really glad that you introduced the topic, which is the IP, IPCC report, uh, which was posted three days ago. And for those unaware, what IPCC is, it's the Intergovernmental Panel on Cli- Climate Change. And it's a United Nations based uh, body that's uh, responsible for assessing the the science that's related to climate change and they released this uh, report which is their like I think it's their sixth assessment on the what they refer to as the global state of climate change and as John was saying it's kind of ir- it is irreversible at this point for an, in a number of circumstances and what the the quote that I pulled from this report that I think is incredibly important was that the, the report says it is unequivocal that human influence has warmed the atmosphere, ocean and land. And according to this report, it has already warmed up 1.1 degrees Celsius since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And for some folks, you might be like, oh, it's only one degree Celsius. But in terms of climate change, that's an uh, that's that's a burden. And we can see that now as we, you know, as we're experiencing this, like currently we're experiencing an absurd heat wave in New York City. You know, there's a number, there's a, in in the Gulf of Mexico itself, there's a dead zone that's the size of Connecticut because the waters were boiling so hot. And even the Arctic Circle reached soil temperatures of 160 degrees just two months ago. So we know that, 1.1 1.1 degrees Celsius may seem like a small amount, but in fact, it's it's huge. And it's so disturbing to be talking about this IPCC report 
especially in terms of how the Biden administration has responded to the report, which is that they say we are going to uh, we are going to, you know, follow resources and science and we're going to you know look for new green ways uh to to maintain you know to maintain this battle against climate change when in fact the administration is doing nothing to to stop climate change they're not banning fracking uh you know harris's entire uh a Twitter feed was very clear that the Biden administration has no intention of banning fracking. And as this report said, you know, it, it's it's time that we need like immediate and rapid reductions in greenhouse gases and greenhouse emissions. And, and a, non, a lot of this is going to be put on the general public in order to rectify it. A lot of, you know, a lot of a lot of people are going to be gaslit into uh, into recycling more, into getting those plastic straws or to banning plastic straws. When the reality is, these admissions are coming from large industrial centers, um, and it has nothing to do with the regular the regular Joe. Yeah, and I think one of the other the other things that really concerned me as uh, as the talk about climate change and and as they talk about fossil fuel reduction is now there's an increased drumbeat for nuclear power which frankly is is even even more frightening in many ways what i don't understand though in terms of this report is why people are shocked um why people are shocked that that we now know that there are uh, you know irreversible irreversible damage has been done to this earth. For me, I, I find a, I'm a bit resentful by the people who are shocked because we as indigenous people have been saying for a very long time that as the stewards of this earth, resource extraction is its demise. Re- continued resource extraction is the demise of the lands and the waters. And so for me, Yes, the IPCC report was, you know, very eye-opening, even for someone like myself, who I feel is very educated on the topic. It was honestly very frustrating to see how many people were surprised by the gravity of climate change, when for so long, we as indigenous people have been saying, yes, this is a big deal. This has been a big deal. You know, but we're not even the only ones saying it. I mean, honestly, of course. Let, let's you know, climate scientists have been saying it all along. And in fact, even as they've re- tried to soften the numbers and and then and be clear, while these are all conservative numbers about what will happen if we don't do this, all those numbers were conservative. In fact, they were so conservative that these numbers that are coming out of this report suggest just how conservative all of those other predictors were because it's worse than what they what those numbers had indicated but again i got to remind people every step along the way for the last several decades climate uh, climatologists have, have said over and over and over again this is what it's going to be and this is a conservative number they didn't they didn't ever really say this is this is what we really anticipate is going to happen they were they they were they were pressured by politics to give the most the rosiest picture possible even as they were you know uh, trying to you know scream fire in a, in a movie theater well what i don't understand is that okay so even politicians have come out saying, you know, oh, the IPC, IPCC report is incredibly damning. It's time for us to make these changes. But 
are doing nothing in terms of stopping the tar pipeline that's going through Anishinaabe and Dakota Territory, known as Line 3. So even though we have politicians and other people that are like, oh, wow, look at this horrible climate change, there's an act, there is something that is an actionable um, and, and an actualized goal that can be done right now in this moment that would help um, rectify these you know, catastrophes, which would be stopping the pipeline going through these territories, ending the Enbridge um, monopoly of pipelines and really just outlawing fracking, outlawing pipelines would be such an easy way to quickly, as the IPCC said, we need to make large scale immediate changes right now. And that is a large scale and immediate change that can be done. But the Biden administration has already said that it will not do so. So for me, these constant contradictions in terms of what we're being told as like we need to do these things in order to rectify the harms that are being done. But the administration is like, we're, we're actually not going to do any of those things. Nor are we going to nor are we going to advocate for the people who are doing that work. In fact, we're going to continue to criminalize them. In fact, we're going to continue to provide secure uh, security detail for pipeliners who are putting this pipeline into uh, into the ground. So it's just like I I can't unpack these contradictions because it causes me so much anxiety and anger. But the reality is that there are, we, the administration is capable of making these immediate changes that the IPCC report uh, suggests and is actually choosing not to. Well, and I, I wanna hit on a little bit of what you, what you just covered because it's, it's worse than not just not doing anything because they are actually oppressing the people who are trying to stop some of the, these activities. And, and you, that's what you alluded to. But, but I, I don't think, I, I think that has to be, a stronger point has to be made of that. There are native people, there are allies of native people who are, are literally being physically abused for trying to save the planet. I mean, literally are being physically, physically abused. They're being arrested. They're being fined. They are being, uh, you know, maligned in any. I mean, look, they're being shot with rubber bullets. They're being, mm-hmm. you know, s- sprayed with pepper spray. They are being batoned. They were, I mean, they are being beaten. And 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 I, I don't know how. I, I'm like you. I'm I'm so outraged by the fact that that we we have generated enough. Um, a will within our communities to send people to stand up against this stuff and 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 it's not we aren't standing up against the oil industry we're standing up against government we're standing up against state government we're, cons- we're standing Absolutely. up against local government and we're standing ag- against both democrats and republicans and i and i again i can't emphasize that enough well you know I've talked about this briefly on the air, but it's relevant to this conversation and it's relevant moving forward with this conversation. I am one of those people that went to the front line. I was violently arrested. Uh, I have to go back to Minnesota. I leave tomorrow um, because I have a court date. Uh, I have a number of charges against me for advocating for the land and waters. And I know that there are continued risks in going to the front line. And I have seen them firsthand, even as someone who doesn't live on the front line. I go there to participate and I come back to Lenape Hoking, my home here. And there are people that are there every day. 
indigenous people, black people, white accomplices that put their bodies on the line every day. There are over 200 arrests at this point. And we're being, you know what's absurd is we are being charged and sentenced. One of my friends was sentenced just last week. And so the reality is that not only are we being arrested, but we are going to be serving jail time. We're going to be, there's, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a high probability that a lot of people who were arrested are going to have to deal with these repercussions for the rest of their life. And it's worth it for us because the land and water is worth it for us. You know, it doesn't, we don't need an IPCC report to tell us that we need to do this work. And so for me, it's, it's as someone who's been on the front lines, as someone who's going back to the front lines, it's a, it's a reality. We know what the risk is and we're willing to take it because there is no other option. There is no other option than stopping these pipelines, than stopping the continued mining of our lands, than stopping, you know, it's, we've talked about interconnectedness. We know that missing and murdered indigenous women, girls, trans and two-spirit people is related to pipelines being put in the ground. We know that the large suicide rates uh, and, uh, and relative abuses that exist in our communities are related also to resource extraction and the infiltration that has within Indian country. Like we know that these are our realities. And so for people to be criminalized for advocating for the land and for the people is just absurd. Is it, it is an absurd, uh, it's absurdist. Well, and I also think it, it, it's worth noting that in spite of the fact that there are these extractive industries uh, within and about native territories, especially when I think about the uh, these these Balkan crude sites and that kind of thing, we still have we still have men and women who freeze to death every single winter in in some of these territories because in spite of the fact that natural gas and crude oil and any number of other um, you know extractive industry products uh, are are ripped out of the earth right around our territories, we still live in abject poverty. We still are, are freezing to death in the winter time. So when you know, because we oftentimes get hit with this, this whole thing. Yeah, well, what are you gonna do? You're gonna walk. You're not gonna drive a car. I mean, we get hit with some of these uh, these absurd, you know, um, uh, you know propositions uh, associated with 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 opposing these these kinds of things. And and look, we know that there will not be effective change in behavior as long as there's money being made with the current behavior. It's just, that's, that is the damning, that's the tyranny. And, and I don't want to, this is not hyperbole. That is the tyranny of capitalism. Um, it is, it is a tyranny of capitalism. It's a tyranny of colonialism. These, you, it is not uh, an extremist view to, to or uh, it's not extremist for you to say those things. It's the reality that we are living in. I hope that even, you know, it's something that I'd like to unpack a little bit further. And hopefully next week, uh, I'll be tuning in from the front lines and can provide a more extensive background about line three and about the continuation of resistance against it. And I do invite people to support the GNU Collective and the Resist Line Three movement, all of which is available on Instagram and Google to become more attuned uh, in terms of what land and water protectors are doing uh, for you, for all of you right now. All right, folks, you heard it. Don't miss it next week. We will have Regan from the front lines on Resistance Radio. This is John Kane for Regan DeLoggins. 
and John Kane. We'll see you next week. Yahweh.